0: Yo, <laughs> that's holy, isn't it? Yo, that's pretty cool that Brian had Welch's come in here, huh? Yes, it's very cool. I uh, I met him in Franklin, Tennessee, back in the latter part of October, and uh, tried to play it really cool because I used to listen to him in the '90s. Like I was a big Cornhead, like in the '90s. And you don't want to be that guy that's like, I used to listen to you and I know all your music, you know. And I was just telling him about like our ministry. And he's like, dude, he's like, that's amazing. And I said, hey, man, would you ever want to come out to my church and minister? And he's like, yeah. So I'm like, let's go. So he's coming. And I just want to make this really clear. Like I've I've never seen anything shared more by praise people than his coming here which I'm telling you, it was like 60-some shares. And I was like, whoa, like, I think we're going to have a problem Like at those services. like I saw people commenting that they're coming. What is neat is, is people are coming because of who he is and because of the band that he's a part of that aren't walking with the Lord, so it's awesome that they're coming. But that being said, like get ready for it to be packed. Now, do, you are not, if, listen, if you're over the age 18, you're not invited to come that evening, so if I catch you in here... <laughs> I am going to have a security team here. I will walk you out. Like you're going to be escorted out. You can try to look young, shave your beard. We're going to sniff you out. We're just, you know, you'll be escorted right out of here. So um, I want to, it's such a cool graphic. Um, For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm dressed up today. And unless I'm doing your wedding, you usually don't see this. So something special must be happening. I got the blazer over there. I decided not to go with it because I started sweating. So we're going to keep the blazer off for now. But, um, We, my name is Brian Connolly, for those of you who have never met me before. And I am the founder of a ministry called Faith Like Birds and our focus is youth evangelism. And what we do is we believe very strongly that an encounter with God can change people. Uh, I'm the product of an encounter with God. Most of the students at this church are products of, of encounters with the Lord. And uh, we believe very strongly in what Jesus modeled, which was the quickest way and the easiest way to evangelize is through miracle signs, wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't make any excuses for that. We just believe the pattern of Jesus is good enough for us today, and we flow in those things. And we really believe that's what's changing teenagers' lives right now. And, uh, And so we do, one of the things we do, is we do an annual youth conference called The Shout. And not only are we doing it here this year in Carlisle in April, which is typically our annual one, but we were also invited to come and do one in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is really, really cool. So yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, give the Lord around. Like that's, I can't do that stuff, only God can do that. That's not me kicking doors in and saying, hey, do you want me to come? Like that came to us and that's just my model and I just believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, but the Lord put it on my heart in 2019 when this started that uh, this would go around the country. And, uh, and what blesses me is, is the thought of like, man, if I can do that full time, sign me up, sign me up to do that, travel around and host that event in different places. But that being said, I want to show you a video really quick, invite you guys, um, into an awesome opportunity Then I'm going to have Molly come up and, uh, and share with you guys about another awesome opportunity. And and then we're going to, we're going to go after it today. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Corbin. Would you mind uh, showing that video? I believe our desire is your desire. I believe you long to see God become real to your child, your grandchild, or niece, or nephew, or the troubled kid you've heard so much about. I believe you want to see teenagers experience God in a way that sets them free from things like suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, identity confusion, and addiction. I believe you wish for the next generation to be restored and radically transformed and I believe you crave to see them love and follow the Lord with every fiber of their being. What you are hoping and possibly praying for takes place at the Shout Youth Conference. The Shout is an event where the power of God is present to heal, deliver, and save. And it's our desire to keep these two events this year as affordable as possible for the students that will attend. So if our desire really is your desire, would you consider donating to our event? Any amount helps and truly is a blessing. Thanks for partnering with us. We love and appreciate you greatly. I really do look like I'm endorsed by Harley Davidson, don't I? My goodness. (laughs) I'm like, you really have it going on. Everything I went, I was like, I joked about it first service in the the promo video with uh, Brian Head Welch. I'm like, that's all you have on, even in that picture. So um, it really is our desire, guys. Um, what, what, what these students get for an entire weekend and their meals provided, their lodging, and that lineup of people for the price we charge is crazy. And, and I want you to know that it is our desire to keep that as affordable as we possibly can. And I mean, depending on who you ask, people are like, you could charge $250 for that. I don't want to charge $250 for that. I want kids to come because I really want them to, to be changed. That being said, when somebody really wants to do something, they'll find the money to do it right? I mean, I begged my mom to buy me a $120 Nike pair of Air Jordans, right? And somehow we were able to do that. So, um if if the Lord would put it on your heart to to sow into that event, we would greatly welcome that. And you can do it by visiting the shoutevent.com. You can visit the table out there with some of our new merch and stuff like that that we have out there. I want you to know what your giving produces, just so we're clear. Your giving gives students an opportunity to to actually encounter God and actually surrender their life to him. Like it actually gives them an opportunity to be delivered. One of my favorite stories, and it makes me cry just thinking about it, Was of a young girl whose mother wanted to get her involved, that was gonna sell her into sex trafficking. The grandmother took her in, said, That's not gonna happen on my watch. But then that little girl, because of all the rejection, the hurt, and the pain, got involved in the occult, turned to a lesbian lifestyle, and at that event got totally delivered and stood up in her church the following Sunday and testified what God did and how He set her free. Not because, yeah, not because we are there railing against sin. Not one person stood up and railed against lesbianism. We lifted Jesus up and talked about who he is and what he wants to do, and his presence comes and does the rest. Paul said, I'm not telling you anything other than what Christ did in me. That's Romans 15. That's, what I, that's my heart's desire. Now, obviously, we're, 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 we're preaching scriptures and everything else, but the power of testimony is rocking teenagers and setting them free. So if you would love to sew into the event, we would love to have you do so, um, especially just because doing two of these is, it's a tall order, but here's the deal. God is so faithful. And, and just because we say yes, it astounds me how he makes it happen. But obedience yields blessing. And that's, that is abundantly clear. But I wanna invite Molly up here who just is dying to get in front of you guys today, all right? So she is so pumped out of her mind. This is Molly Hits, And um, do you guys know Molly? Her husband Corbin's back there doing the tech, leads our tech crew. And uh, she wants to make a real uh, uh, quick, important announcement. And we're gonna jump in. Hey
1: everybody, um, as Brian said, my name is Molly. I function on the Faith Like Birds team as the event planning coordinator. Uh, so I help plan the shout strictly right now, uh, both the one coming up in April and then the new one she coming in meetings. October. She leads the meetings? She's
0: almost my boss, guys, I'll tell you what.
1: He told me one time I was in charge of him. I said, you better not say that, I might take advantage. Boss you around a little. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to come up here and just let you guys know that we do have a few more volunteer opportunities still open. Uh, we're currently looking for people who are able to be there all weekend. Um, we found the flow was just a little better when someone could be there Friday through Sunday. Um, there is a cost associated to volunteer. Um, I know Brian and Nicole's heart is... Sorry, am I messing up my microphone? Okay. Okay. Um, I know Brian and Nicole's heart is to have the event be free for volunteers in the future, but at this point, the ministry is just not there. So it is $120, there's a fee associated. If you guys have questions, I'll be out in the lobby um, after second service, and you can come out, hit me up, and we can go
0: from there. Awesome, able-bodied men and women that want to catch, come on, that's exciting. So, um, and we need, yeah, so that that, that includes your room, your board, and all your meals, so, and you get to come partake and be a part of the event, so it's really, really exciting. Okay, I'm going to shift gears. Um, if, and I mean this, like some, sometimes I can say stuff like, oh, he's just joking. No, I mean it. So here we go. Um, if, if you get done before I get done today, okay, um, feel free. If you need to get up and go, go. Um, but here's, here's the thing. If you're going to do that, if you're going to move around, please, please do this for me. Please be as quiet as you possibly can. Even when we leave today, um, just please refrain from talking until you get out of the room. Uh, I can't put my finger on it, but I've had this sense all week that the Lord really wanted to do something special, something deep this morning. Um, And I said, for service, I'm not sure if it's because of what it is that we're seeing, you know, in our nation right now with what's happening at Asbury, what's happening at Lee University, what's happening at other universities, not just there. But one of the things that I'm learning in my doctoral studies is a lot of times when you see an outpouring of God's spirit, we make the mistake of being like, well, that's just an isolated event. It's not an isolated event. God's doing it in other locations. It's just maybe that we haven't heard about it yet. So that being said, I don't know if the sense that I have in my heart is because some of the things that I know that are taking place, which is unfortunate because when I was, when I graduated in 2005, literally the next year, I graduated from Asbury Seminary, but across the street, literally across the street is Asbury College. And when I graduated in 2005, the next year an outpouring of the spirit happened at Asbury College for roughly a week. And here's why it happened. I could go, I could rabbit trail this one. Because we, I think sometimes we have, we have a definition of what we think revival is. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've never seen revival come at a revival service. You can't schedule it. And I'm not going to sit here and say, here's the formula, because I really don't know. I really don't know what's a sovereign act, and I really don't know what is the byproduct of hunger. But here's what I do know. In my studies... People think, well, revival comes because we're praying through. Charles Finney once said to a group of people, how long have you been praying for revival? I don't know, 10 years. And he's like, well, I don't want you praying for me because clearly you don't have the faith for it. (laughs) And if there's anything that I've learned, faith comes by hearing. And a lot of times what happens is somebody will catch a wind or a word about what God wants to do and that gives them the faith to pray through to see what God is gonna do. So, a lot of times we think, you know, God, God, is, God is mysterious. Would you agree with that? I mean like, the older I get in the Lord, I'm 44, cat's out of the bag. I've been walking with the Lord since 19. I'm a master's level student. I'm getting my doc, doctorate in ministry. I thank God for all of that. But the more that I learn, the more that I seek him, the more, the more I realize growth in God is becoming like a child, not becoming a know-it-all. It's being pliable. That's why the meek inherit the earth, because their heart's supple, soft, towards God. And when I graduated from Asbury Seminary in 2005, the reason why the Spirit of God was poured out at the college the following year is because a a college professor stood up in the chapel service and confessed an adulterous affair. Then God came. If there's anything that I do know about revival, it is the conscious awareness of God in people's midst. Now, what the Lord wants to do this morning and this evening... I don't know. I am just thankful that I get to be a vessel. That's it. That's it. And what I want to put forth to you this morning is, and I've, I've, I've been in full-time ministry since 2005, so we're going on 18 years. This has only been a handful of times where something like this has happened, where the Lord's like, I want you to actually write out what I want you to say. That rarely happens. This is the fourth time that's happened. So for the most part, I'm going to read what it is that I have here. And some of you might be like, well, that's going to be boring. It's not boring if God's on. it. It's not boring if oil's upon it. It's not. I mean, you had, and I'm not putting myself even remotely close in the same league as, as Jonathan Edwards, but Jonathan Edwards was not very charismatic in his presentation when he, and this is fascinating. Even when I was studying uh, English at Millersville University, we had to read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's regarded as a work, like a in, in, in the regards to literature and prose and stuff like that. It's highly regarded, even among academics that aren't Christian in secular universities. We had to read that. And for those of you that don't know, Jonathan Edwards, and I forget who else was along with him. I mean, I think they fasted and prayed for a few days. And he read that sermon, and he had to read it like this, because I think his, his sight wasn't the best either. And God just came through his reading that message. It's amazing. Now, I would love to be able to tell you, hey, this is what the Lord's been having me preach all year. I've only, this is only the second time. I did this with our kids back in January. But I've really felt strong that the Lord wanted me to do it here. Now, here's the question. The question that needs answered today, and again, if you get done before me, go, but do not leave because you feel convicted. See, we think a lot of times a true sign of God's moving the presence of the Holy Spirit in a room is manifestation of gifts, that's true. People falling out, that can be. Um, I feel his presence, also true. But another sign that God is at work in a room is genuine, holy, fear, conviction touches people. And that is what I believe the Lord wants to bring this morning. Because I believe we've made a mistake in the church I'm going to make this statement and then qualify it as we go. I think I think we've made a mistake in the church and I can't presume to know the motivation behind it so I'm not. I think sometimes we make a mistake in leading people to believe that because they believe they're saved. I I think I think in the church, and I will qualify this, so before you tune me out and say, I can't wait to ream him a new one, let me get in my message, okay? I think we've made salvation very convenient for people. And I don't think it was ever man's place to look at somebody and say, you're saved or you're not saved. The Holy Spirit bears witness, Romans 8, in the heart of people, whether or not they're really born again, whether or not they really belong to him. Why do I say that? I say that to use my own life as an example because in my most rebellious years, when I was disobedient to parents, when I was disobedient, disrespectful to authority, when I was stealing, when I was lying, when I was cussing up a storm, when I was putting every drug in the book in my body, when I was exceedingly overweight because I was turning to food to numb pain, when I was using pornography and willing to sleep with whoever else, I would have looked you in the eye and told you I believe. And, and I had people in my life telling me, because you believe, you're saved. And I think that's deception. I, I was, this is, this, the kids laughed at this when I told this in January. It's the truth. I was smoking a joint on my porch in high school, reading Revelation to my friends. Tell me how that works. but I would have looked at you and said, I believe. Thank God for his grace that I didn't go prematurely and find out I really didn't. Because what we've done is we've limited the word belief to mental assent that says, I believe God exists. Good for you, a lot of people can do that. In fact, James goes out of his way to say, that's demon level stuff. Demons believe in God, but they shudder because they don't know when the day's coming. They know judgment came in Genesis 3. It's called the Protoevangelium, the first time the gospel was preached. When God said, through this woman, a seed's gonna come and he's gonna crush your head, buddy. And from that time, that's why genealogies are important in the Bible. Some of you wanna skip over them. The reason why they're important is because they were looking for the line of the Messiah and who you were connected to is important. We live in a country of individualists. They were a collectivist group of people. And so it wasn't society is the sum of its individual parts. It was your clan, your family, your kinship determined your identity. Who you were connected to, who your fathers were, your mothers were, were a big deal. And so they believed, they were looking, who's who's the Messiah going to come through? But I think we've made a mistake in believing that because somebody said with their mouth, I believe they're born again. I do not believe. That word belief, guys, actually means to trust. And if you trust God with your life, it's going to look like something. Something. That means you trust him to lead as a shepherd, to guide as a shepherd, to teach you, to grow you, to mature you, and there are things. Yes, there can be signposts and evidences of transformation in the same way that there are signposts and evidence if you're not transformed, which we will talk about here today. But if at any point you feel the presence of God descending and resting upon you and convicting you because of what you're hearing, please do not shrug it off and let it please do its work in your heart. So I wanna invite you to pray with me before we dig in, but as I'm praying, if you wanna keep your eyes open and turn to Acts 17 so you're ready to rock and roll and you're lock and loaded, that's fine with me. It'll be up on the screen, Corbin and his team have the scriptures, but I'm gonna open up and pray and then we're gonna dig right in, okay? Father, I ask today that you would do something so deep in the lives of people here. Father, I'm asking and praying that the promise of what Jesus said in John 16 concerning the role of the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us today. Lord, I'm asking that you'd arrest our hearts. And Father, I'm asking that you'd make me pliable. And I pray that we would would follow you today, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would take these words and use them to pierce hearts if necessary. But Jesus, I lift this time up to you and ask, Holy Spirit, that the, the conviction of the Spirit would come here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, Acts 17, here we go. This is, um, these, this passage of Scripture is the foundation. From which the rest of this message has, has been brought and will flow, and where I believe the Lord has me camping. Okay, here we go. Acts 17, verse 16. It should be up on the screen. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, that, them there is, is Silas and Timothy. His spirit was being provoked. That's kind of how I felt lately. Within him, as he was observing the city full of idols. You guys know anybody can worship anything. Would you agree with that? Doesn't have to be a carved image, doesn't have to be an engraved image. Anything can take the place where I love that more than I love God. I look to that more than I look to God. It doesn't have to be Baal or Asherah or whatever, Vishnu or whatever else that's out there. There's all kinds of things we can turn to, and that's not the point of the message here today. But if you're not careful, I'm not going to get into the background of some of this stuff. I'm not going to get into the Areopagus. I'm not going to get into the Epicurean Stoic philosophers. If you want to know about that, you can look those things up on your own. But where we want to land specifically is in verse 21 and what follows. So he was reasoning in the synagogue, verse 17, with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what does this idle babbler wish to say? That wasn't a kind thing to say or call somebody if you look into that. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. I will say that is the place where you were put, where it was almost like, I wouldn't say Colosseum or auditorium, but it was a place where people could gather around and hear the new and latest thing. Okay? Okay. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is and what you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Why are they curious? Because he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, which by the way, is the bedrock of our faith. And if Christ is not raised, this is all for nothing. Now, all the, listen to verse 21. I will take a time out and mention this really quick. The Bible does not exaggerate. We do that sometimes. We stretch the truth, we over embellish. God does not. God is not looking to fill space with needless words. God is is not looking to say something just for the sake of saying something. So when you read, now, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Now why do I think that's funny? I think it's funny and I think it's relevant because although that was written roughly, I don't know, less than 2,000 years ago, that couldn't be more true than it is today. There's, oh, okay. There's always some new diet, guys. And I don't care. Like losing weights, not rocket science. You just don't eat a lot. Like it's calorie input and output, it's mathematics. It's not difficult. Well, you know, I'm I'm on keto and I'm on South Beach and I'm on this and I'm on that. Like it's always some new thing. It's always some new philosophy, some new real, some new teaching. Some knew this, like Adam, like I was over at Adam's house yesterday and this might step on toes. So I I think some of you guys might know my heart in this matter, but he was like, Hey, did you hear about what's going on in Ohio? I'm like, no, I don't know what's going on in Ohio. My wife said, Hey, look at this. I said, what is it about these spills and stuff? I'm, I'm out of the loop. I don't know. And some of you might be like, well, you need to know what value is that adding to my life? Like at the end of the day, and maybe some of it is just because I, if you saw the amount of reading I had to do for this doctorate degree, you'd fall over. So maybe some of it is like, I'm just too busy. But like in my downtime, I hope I'm with them. I'm hoping I'm doing something that's bearing fruit for the Lord. I'm hoping I'm doing something that matters. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to be in the know and to be involved, but like guys, if we're honest, some of our life is filled with a lot of noise. And rather than being rooted in ancient truth and being able to quote the Beatitudes, we can tell somebody what David Harris Jr. said. And I don't need to know what's happening out in that world. I really don't care. I believe God's bringing the church to a place where people are so raptured by God and looking to the Lord that they don't know what's going on in the world at large. Now, don't take offense at that and feel, oh my gosh, he's he's putting that stuff down. I'm just saying I think there's better ways we can spend our time. I'm thinking there's always some new teaching, always some new advancement, always some, guys, there is nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. This has been going on for centuries, thousands of years, 4,000 years. It's always something new. And so for these guys, they're like, we've never heard this before, and they're worshiping stuff that they don't know about in ignorance, and Paul's gonna come on the scene and say, let me tell you who it is you're actually worshiping. God forbid we're actually worshiping God in ignorance. God forbid we actually don't know him. God forbid we're drowning in a sea of noise right now, guys. So I wrote the, state, the statement couldn't be more true regarding the times and days we live in. There's always some new thought, always some new idea or philosophy, always some new study, always some new advancement, always some new video or reel to watch, always some new opinion to listen to, some new person to subscribe to, some new thing you want to share with somebody. See, that's the other thing. It's not even just who we're listening to. We feel the incessant need to tell everybody else how we feel. It never stops. And because you have an opinion, you're right. And we've lost the ability to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger. Rather, what is it? It's you're ticking me off. I got a whole lot to say and I don't want to hear it. That's really the world at large. And we can be consumed by, did you hear what this person just said? Did Did you hear what Lance Walnut? I don't know. I don't know. Am I against Lance Wall now? No. What I am against, though, is the amount of time like, that we're feeding ourselves on stuff that at the end of the day doesn't really matter, may not be producing kingdom inside of us. Okay. Now I'm going to soapbox more. I'm, I'm even concerned, like, so this thing that's happening at Asbury, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know what bothers me? How social media's been touching it. And the Christian life, guys, it's tension. Like, we deal with it at the shout. Like, like you, you have these moments where it happens in here. We've got camera people walking around in here. Right? And sometimes that's distracting. And it's this tension of, I want to show what God is doing, but at the same time, I don't want to disrupt something that's holy. Like, so you got a kid at the shout who's weeping. They're being delivered, and they got a camera in their face in the name of them trying to capture what God's doing. And I really don't know where the line is aside to say that it's about motive. Motive is what matters at the end of the day. But like I'm watching stuff like about the Asbury revival and you've got people like snapping pictures and posing. I'm like, I, I just think sometimes like, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm even trying to say. Just from the, but just the, like, it's, it's, it's the constant need to show everybody what's happening in your life. You know what the Lord said to me a couple months ago? Your private life's not for sale. Let me tell you what I think that means. You don't have to tell everybody every new revelation you get from God and plaster it all over. I don't, I don't wanna go into my alone time with the Lord And walk out and share with you. Did you want, you that are married, did you want people in the room when you were consummating your marriage? Yes or no? Then why do we do that with God? Why do we constantly feel the need to take what we're hearing, to take what he's doing? And I live in the tension of that because I'm trying to reach this generation. It's hard. And I've been tempted at times to put stuff on social media to tell you about This testimony, and I got to check my own heart. Sometimes I don't put it out. And sometimes I won't even share testimony from the stage because I don't want that thing inside of me. And I struggle with this that says, look at me. I'm being real. A lot of ministers battle that. I want the credit. I want to be seen. I want you to know how awesome I am. And so I'd rather not even stroke it. I'd rather not even put it out there most of the time. And so I I don't want to be like, Hey, we got a, there's everybody's got a podcast. We got one. Come watch it. You should, you should subscribe to it. (laughs) But it's just, it's just one more thing all the time. Rather than actually going and closing the door and sitting and listening and not feeling the need to constantly blab it all over the place. But there's tension because like you do want to glorify God, but from the right place. You do want to share what the Lord is saying, but from the right place. And not just to put somebody in their place, or, but from the place of like, Lord, do you want me to share that? Or is that just for me? Does that make sense? Is that hard? It's kind of harsh, isn't it? Okay. So in so many ways, the voices, the opinions we listen to become the voices we ascribe to. In other words, we are highly influenced by them, sometimes conform to them, and oftentimes elevate them to the same plane that the voice of God should be upon. In essence, we sometimes worship them, and the evidence of that is the place and weight of impact they have in our lives. In short, we are consumed, guys, with noise. We are consumed by it. You can fill your entire day with it. The major difference between what happened at Asbury in 1970 and what is happening now, a lot of it has to do with the coverage that it's getting. 1970, God poured out at Asbury College. The only way you knew about it is if it was reported on the news or if it was a publication. And I'm not saying like, it sounds like you're saying it's all bad. It's all bad. Social media is bad. It's not. It can be a wonderful tool, but it can man get it can get perverted real quick. So now, now they're they're trying to limit the amount of people. I I went to school there. It's a one traffic light town. Subways there. That's it. Where are these people parking? And I'm not saying it's wrong to go where God's moving, but I'm just saying what we're sometimes doing with it and the motive that we're doing it in is wrong. And I think to post about it so that you can have people say that's awesome, I think that is wrong. Acts 17, verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 23. Nope, let's go back to 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world. This is fascinating. They had tons of different gods that they would worship. And they'd say, this is the rain god, this is the harvest god, this is the fertility god. So he's essentially coming out and saying, there is one. And I'm going to make known to you who he is and what he's like. This is beautiful. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. In other words, the only reason you're alive and breathing is because he says so. You are not owed that next breath you're about to take. He gave it to you, and at any moment, that can be your last, and you don't know when it's going to happen. At any moment, that could be it, and he's about to tell you, he's about to answer the age-old existential question of why am I here, and who am I? And guys, from somebody who works with teenagers and ministers to them, there is more confusion over those two questions now more than ever. Who am I? Am I a boy or a girl? Why am I here? And the only answer to that question is to not rail them and think, and, then, and come at them for their confusion. That's not it. And some of you may disagree with that. Like I sat down with a young girl a couple months back and she's telling me about how she was a lesbian and she was hard, man, tough exterior and how she ain't changing, bro, because she don't like that. And you know what I said to her? I don't need you to. I don't need you to change. The only thing I care about, honey, is the Lord is chasing after you and I believe one day when you experience his love, that's gonna be the game changer. I am not there to tell her how gross she is, how disgusting she is. Because you know what's influencing her choice as being a lesbian is the stuff she grew up with. And we need to be moved with compassion. We need to be moved by love. We need to understand, guys, like... There is confusion in the world right now. And your soap, your personal soapbox ain't changing it. You railing against it isn't gonna change them or win their heart. You pointing out what's wrong, all that's that's proving is you've got an opinion and they've got an opinion and none of them are able to come together because you're stuck in it. And I'm not saying your opinion's wrong. I think how we go about it is wrong a lot of times. Why is it, I remember reading a book one time, I remember reading a book, What's What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. I remember one thing from that book, just one thing. It was the story in the beginning about how this woman would rent out her two-year-old daughter. You ready for this? Because she made more renting out her two-year-old daughter in a half hour than she made an entire entire night of prostitution. And I remember thinking to myself, I'd knock that woman out that's a kid and so Philip Yancey says to her his friend says to her have you ever thought about going to the church you know what the w- woman says the church why would I go there I already feel bad enough about myself <laughs> and here's the whole point of the book why is it that the people that used to run to Jesus are now running from Jesus But we've got an opinion and we're a conservative. Oh God, I'm going to get in trouble. Come on. Is Christ in your life? Is he in your eyes? Does your heart break when you post certain things? Do you cry when no one's looking? Are you grieved? I can't believe I'm on this thing. Does that make sense? You know what we often find out? You just find people that agree with you and we just run in packs. Well, I feel empowered because everybody agrees with me. And we think we're really reaching the masses. Meanwhile, your audience is like that. Okay. Some of you ain't gonna come out tonight. (laughs) Okay. I believe the number one thing, based on what Paul's saying here, to an unknown God, I believe the number one thing we ought to be concerned with, guys, is not telling or hearing something new, but it's this. Is there a God, and if so, what does he require of me? If there really is a God, you don't know. If you're here, you've never heard this stuff before. If there really is a God, number one, does he exist? And if so, what does he require of me? That should be the number one question on everybody's mind. Think about this. If this life is to have any significance, if it's to have any meaning whatsoever, shouldn't we trouble ourselves over whether or not there's a God who actually offers this present life purpose? In a day and age where so many people are asking, who am I, why am I here, and are confused regarding the answer to those questions, don't you think we should be seeking the one possible source that can answer them? More than that, if there really is an afterlife, if there really is an eternity, shouldn't we make it our life's ambition to discover who we will one day meet when we die and who will determine where exactly we will spend our eternity? I mean, if eternity is really on the line, if it's really real, and you can numb yourself to that fact, and I think one of the reasons why you see things, like I think, I think the fear of death permeates so much. I think that's why people are so into finding the fountain of life. And, and if I just, you know, make myself, if I just de-wrinkle my face, like the reality is you're all going back to dust one day. That's reality. You can hide from it. You can eat right. You can put whatever you want in your body. You can Botox this and that. I'm serious. But it's coming for you. You can numb yourself to it, you cannot choose to think about it, but one day you are going to die and from dust you came and the dust you're going back. And this life is way too short to play games with that. And it is way too not okay to say, I believe and attend church, and meanwhile you have zero transformation in your heart. Zero. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a God-fearing home. It doesn't matter if you prayed a prayer at five years old like I did and said, I welcome you into my heart, Jesus. Meanwhile, as a teenager, my life is the exact opposite of that prayer. Something wasn't right. Something didn't stick. Something wasn't understood. But you have people say, yeah, but because you believe you're saved, like... Wow, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes, like, you know and the Bible says it is better to be in the house of mourning than in the, uh, in the, how was it, feasting or something like that? You know why? Because death confronts all of us and we have to step back and finally reflect on that stuff. This is what the writer, in Proverbs, the Proverbs are saying, it's better to be at a funeral than at a party. Because that's when you're confronted with, oh my gosh, like, this thing's real. Verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, we read this right, he gives the, all people life, breath, and all things, and he made from one man, meaning Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, the boundaries of their habitation. Here's why, why, why is he doing that? Why is he saying he knows your time and where you'll be? the exact possible time and moment where it is most sufficient and best for you to do what? To seek for and find God. That's why you're here. And he's saying you have a limited amount of time right where you are to do it. He knows your beginning, your end, and where you'll be. And he's saying this is the best spot in human history for you personally to seek for and find God. And he's not far from any one of us. That's why you're here. And the amazing thing is, is God is the one pursuing you. And that pursuit causes your heart to turn and say, I must know him. Everything God does is because of his kindness and his grace. You can't take credit for any of it. If you have any desire for God at all, it's because he gave it to you. And he is patient and he is kind, wishing none of us to perish, guys. I met with a guy on Friday. We had coffee and he's just weeping, telling me his testimony because he's recalling all the times he could have died and God spared his life. And he's like, God is so gracious. I didn't deserve it. And like, and I'm listening. I'm like, that's true. That's revelation. Like God is patient with us. And it makes you wonder, at what point in time will that bell toll? Will that grace run out? Will that mercy cease? But make no mistake, he's chasing, he's wooing, he's calling people unto himself, guys. Both your time of being and existing, where you will reside on this earth, has already been predetermined by God. Thus, with the small amount of time you have, finding him should be every person's greatest priority and ambition. And guys, once you find him, if he's real, okay, if he's real the number one question we should ask is what does he require of me? What does God require of me? Because if we get to this place and we realize he's God, then by default, logically, you're not. And therefore, what does it look like for my life to come under subjection and submission to his lordship if I'm going to say with my mouth, he's my king and lord? He's not, if you, listen, God, Jesus made this comment in Luke's gospel. Why do you call me that and not do what I ask you to do? Why do you call me Lord and King and Master and not obey what I tell you to do? It's more than, like, like I, I, I think, gosh, I wish I had the whole day with you. I kind of have tonight, but so, like, we gotta get to this place where like, some people are like, well, you know, he's just my friend, he loves me. That's all true, but make no mistake, Like, you might sing the song, I am a friend of God. That doesn't mean you're God's friend. That doesn't mean he's your friend. Friendship, biblically speaking, is he tells you things, according to John 15. When he says, I no longer call you slaves, and we love quoting that, but I call you friends, and what, the slave has no idea about his master's business, but the friend does. That's friendship with God. Friends tell each other secrets. And when God begins talking to you, that's the evidence, sincerely, and friend. friends obey. So you have this situation where this guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John 3, and the whole reason he's coming is because he looks at Jesus and he says, we've concluded that there's no way you're, you're sent by God unless, because nobody could do these things that you're doing. In other words, we recognize you're a teacher sent from God because nobody could do the things you're doing unless God was with him. And this is they have this conversation. And Jesus says this, well, unless you're born again, you can't enter or see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, wait, wait a second. Because we don't understand fully the background of that story. You need to understand Nicodemus knew what proselyte Jewish baptism was. And what that was, was anytime time a Gentile converted to Judaism, they would be water baptized. And through their water baptism, it was as if they weren't a Gentile anymore and they became a Jew. So, and they called it like it was like being born again. So how can I, being a Jew, be born again if I'm already a Jew? Does that make sense? But what Jesus is talking about is something that happens from above, not here. And so he's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How are you being a teacher of Israel not understand this? And he says, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. That's what God requires of us. And he's made every provision for that to happen. And guys, if you think about it, by nature, to be born again means the first birth didn't work. There's a defect, something's wrong with it. The Bible goes out of its way to say, through one man, sin came into the world. And after that, everybody was born into that sin, in the likeness of that transgression. So in other words, you and I are born, guys, dead in our trespasses and sins. How do you know you're dead? You have no peace. You have no joy. There's no purpose. There's no firm belief and unshakable reality that God loves you. You, like a vampire, you bleed everything dry, trying to answer life's most basic questions. Am I significant? Am I loved? What's my identity? Do people like me? Do they want me? And so I turn to what God created and I bleed it dry. That's the sign you have no life in yourself. And so you hear people make, they say things like this. Well, you know, the basic, the easiest way to explain Christianity, it's like taking a life preserver and throwing it out in the ocean to somebody who's drowning. That's not Christianity, that's not evangelism. The more accurate description of the gospel is you were actually dead at the bottom of the water and crabs were nibbling on your toes. And Jesus jumped out of the boat and swam to the bottom and pulled you ashore and didn't just CPR you, he resuscitated you with the breath of his life. Yeah, the breath of life. That's the gospel. So to be born again implies that you're actually changed, you're transformed. So Peter goes out of his way writing to the believers that you and I, having believed, are born again by the imperishable seed of Christ, the living and enduring word of God. Why is that significant? Because everything that's alive comes from a seed. Everything. It's the way of both the kingdom and this world. And guys, when you plant a seed in the ground, the ground changes. When a man's seed goes into a woman, the womb changes. And what's in the seed comes out. And, it be, and that implies that transformation is both immediate and ongoing. Because as that seed cracks, what's inside of it comes out of it and it begins to grow. Such is the way, guys, in the kingdom. That new birth implies change from the inside out. Now, why is this so important? The reason why it's so important is because one day, Christ is going to come back, guys, and he is going to separate sheep from goats. Now, I'm I'm gonna tell you something. They look pretty similar. So does wheat and chaff. They look very close. And one day, Jesus is going to put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and he's going to separate the obedient from the disobedient, those that love him from those that don't love him. And I am here to tell you, it doesn't matter at the end of the day what you accomplish in life, how many followers you have, how much money you have, whether or not you did this or that, if you're still a goat, who cares? Because on that day, it won't matter. So the writer goes on here in Acts 17 and begins to say this, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and exist, as even some of your pro- poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, what is he talking about? What were we ignorant to? We didn't know who God was. To an unknown God, that was the ascription. Here's Paul letting them know, here's who he is. And because we didn't understand the nature we were created in, when you don't know who you are, you'll let anything determine who you are. That's why there's so much confusion right now. And rather than our heart breaking over it, we're becoming angry with it. And we want to give our opinion on the matter. Rather than being moved by compassion, saying, what can I do? What can I actually contribute? Because I can promise you this, your tear before God is going to go a whole lot further than your angry rant. I promise you interceding and crying out and praying in the spirit and and saying, Lord, would you do something? Because you're moved by what it is you're seeing and what you're reading. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Repent repent turn away from a life of rebellious rebellion a life of not submitting to god and like a sheep chasing after its own way like it says in isaiah 53 verse 6 all have gone astray all have preferred their own way guys you can sit in church like i think we've made the grave mistake of thinking church attendance and volunteering and charitable acts and going on missions trips like being the sign oh look they're saved you can do that not be saved You can do that and love sin. You can do that, guys, and not care. Never yield and submit to God. The evidence of a a changed life is transformation in the individual. You can't be born again and not changed. And you might say, Well, I've been in church my whole life. I grew up in a God fearing home. The litmus test is still the same Do you love the things in the world or do you love God? You may not have a defining moment like me at 19 where, bang, God became real. You don't need to have that moment. Do you yield? Do you submit? Do you love? Do you grow in those realities every day? Is transformation, what did it happen and is it ongoing? Or are you turning to your own way, dealing with your own stuff in a way that you think is right in your own eyes? Or are you chasing after God? Why is this important? Because one day he's fixed a day, it says, in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man through Jesus, And you're not going to be able to point at him and say, well, you're out of touch. You're God. Like, how do you know what it was like to be me? That's why he became a man. That's what makes him a faithful high priest. He was tempted in every way without sin, that he might come to your help and aid if you need help and you run to his throne. He's willing to give it. He's not out of touch with reality. You're not going to be able to stand before him one day and say, well, you don't know what I went through. He understands completely. We might not understand what you went through, but he does. And guys, sometimes those things like, you don't get to know the man of sorrows without going through sorrow. You don't get to be comforted without going through mourning. And I know sometimes that stuff stinks, but if you handle it rightly, it actually draws you closer to God. He has fixed a day where he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men. By how? By raising him from the dead. That's something. And it is the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, who convicts the world of sin. Why? Because they don't believe. That does not mean because they don't mentally affirm my existence. It means they don't trust me with their life and the evidence of that is how they live. They don't trust him to be Lord and Savior. And he will convict them of righteousness because he goes to the Father. Why of righteousness? Because one day he's going to come back and judge the world in righteousness. And if we're in him, then the Bible says you'll be saved from the wrath of God to come. And make no mistake, wrath is coming. And you want it to come. We want to see evil be done away with. Who doesn't want to see sex trafficking come to an end? Who doesn't want to see pornography swallowed up? Who doesn't want to see abuse go away? Who doesn't want to see wickedness judged? But at the same time, if your heart's not changed, it's from your heart that evil thoughts come. It's from your heart that adulteries come, fornications come, murders come, envy comes, slander comes. And one of the signs that you're not transformed is it doesn't bother you. Hypocrisy doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you that you gossip. It doesn't bother you that you lie and fib a little bit. It doesn't bother you that you turn to this, to whatever. And some of us have pet sins in our life that we just need to be, they just need to die. That we make allowance for. And I understand, I loved what Adam said about, you know, if, if, you're, if you're trying to quit smoking, it's sometimes we can put ourselves, there's, guys, I understand as Gentiles, we're not under the law, but man, we can put ourselves under Christian law. And we can feel like God's angry because we didn't attend church today or because we didn't read and we just relate to him by a whole other set of laws thinking our standing with him is based on what we're doing or not doing and I understand he's a father and he's fathering us in this whole thing my question is at the end of the day can you take an honest assessment of your life and can you say you're really changed and you're really born again and you're really transformed Charles Finney and I'll end with this I know I'm way over my time Charles Finney said did this? He was, he was accused of, 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 of being out of touch. People made fun of him. People criticized this approach. In his meetings, he had what was called an anxious bench. And at that anxious bench is where people would go as they sat under his preaching and they got troubled in heart. They sat on the bench and they wrestled with God until they discerned truly by the, by the grace of God, by the spirit of God, if they were saved or not. And I think it is not my job to look anybody in the eye and tell them you're born again. I don't know. I think that's God's job. I think the Holy Spirit bears witness in the life of an individual if they're really saved. And it matters because you have an appointed time, a boundary of habitation that you would seek for and find Him. And here's the good news, He's not far from any of us. And it's the preaching of the gospel, the kindness of God that changes lives and what is that gospel that jesus came born of a woman born of a virgin at the fullness of time He came born under the law, did what we could not do, lived a perfect life, though he was tempted in every way, performed signs and wonders to convey to the people the kingdom of God is now, it's at hand, to show and convey and illustrate that God's favor is upon people with whom he is pleased, that this God whom Jesus sent was then crucified, died on the cross, became sin, though he had no familiarity with it, was placed in the ground so that that body of sin could be done away with, and one day was raised up on the third day so that you and I can be raised up in newness of life so that he would one day then after 40 days ascend to the right hand of the father far above all rule and authority and that's where christians sit with god today and their life is hidden in christ and if you're born again jesus said this hey guys the spirit's activity is like wind john 3 8 and you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going in other words you don't know when or where you'll be born again but you know when it happens because everybody can feel the wind and everybody can feel its effect. So the question that I believe God is asking is, are you really born again? If you're not, the same judgment that rests on the devil still rests upon you. But God has made every way It is not about, well, what kind of loving God would send people to hell? What kind of God would send his son to die? That's the question. You know what really is at stake? You're either proud and refuse to submit your life, or you're pliable by the grace of God, and you realize you need him, and you need a savior, and you need a better Lord than you because you're not the greatest one. And God has made every provision for that to happen. Your best life is lived in submission, not in rebellion. That's your best life. And we're going to come back tonight and we're going to chase after. Well, first off, we're going to give an opportunity here that if you're not sure, you're saved. And you know in your heart, and I had a whole list of like how you know you're transformed, how you know you're not transformed. I'm not going to go through the list. If you're wondering in your heart, if you're really saved, the whole reason why I asked him to take out this front row so that you would do business with God on the carpet you don't need me to pray over you if you want to go in the back room and ask for prayer you can do that but if you're not sure you need to come up and wrestle with God you need to do business with God and wrestle and if you're not you need to ask him listen the whole role of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to the fact that either you are or to convict you because you're not there's more than he does than that Are you changed? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you transformed? Do you love the things of God or do you love the things of the world? Are you playing games, just going to church? Or does your life really reflect submission and fruit? Are you guys okay? Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm gonna pray. If you wanna do business with the Lord, you can do that. If you need to get out of here because you've got stuff to do, I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please hear me. But I think sometimes we make the clock Lord more than Jesus is Lord. I think we do sometimes. And I understand structure and I understand, yeah, we got this and we got that. I get it. But I think there's going to be a day and time we're not worried about the clock a whole lot. I don't think they're worried about the clock down at Asbury right now. So Lord, I know some of these things were sharp and I know some of these people have probably never heard me before and those that have heard me are probably like, yeah, that's just kind of what he does. But Lord, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how eloquent something was, doesn't matter how loud it was, doesn't matter how soft it was or how quiet it was. What does matter is that you come and do what your word promises to do. And so Father, if there is any of us in this room that are not born again, we're not saved, we're we're in between, we're on the fence, we're in rebellion but you're poking and you're prodding and you're convicting that individual then I pray for the courage and strength to come before you and to wrestle with you until we have that assurance in our heart that we're really changed and we're really made new nothing could be more significant nothing could be more important if eternity is at stake then that's what matters most am I saved? am I born again? am I transformed? how do I know? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this moment, this time, this opportunity. Jesus, would you bless everybody as they go out. But Lord, if there's somebody here, anybody here that's troubled in their heart, Father, arrest their heart. Touch them. And may godly sorrow do what only it can do. One of the greatest gifts is godly sorrow. in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are being, if, if God's doing something, you, you feel like you need to wrestle with the Lord, I want you to come up here. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. I know it's intense. Have a wonderful Sunday. Come back tonight. We're going to pursue being filled with the Spirit. If God's doing something, if, he's, if, you're, if you need to wrestle with God, or if you don't want to leave, don't leave. I'll stay here. I don't care. I'll stay here until tonight. If you need to wrestle with God, guys wrestle with him don't run are you transformed are you saved what's the evidence
1: we thank you for watching with us i praise our mission is to inspire challenge and transform people for generations to come and we hope today's message can do just that if you have any questions or would like to learn more about Praise, email us at info@praiseyork.com. If you'd like to support Praise financially, you can visit praiseyork.com/give. To stay up to date with sermons, events and changes at Praise, make sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel.